1 through 27. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves 
who have the first, first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes, intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. For our guests, uh, if you're wondering why, I was, why Mike referred to me as Uncle Andy, it's a great question to ask at the guest reception. You probably won't get a good answer, but it's still a great question. The, uh, the gospel choir actually refers to me as Bishop Uncle Andy, just letting you know that, so we just keep adding the titles on. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, when we come to one of the pinnacles of your word, this Romans chapter 8, Lord, and we're not going to be able to mine it for all it's worth, but I do pray that you'd help us to give attention to and honor to the person of the Holy Spirit who's been given to us that we might walk toward you in glory. Bless the preaching and the hearing of this word in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So we're in a series this fall examining the great doctrines of the Christian faith as expressed in the Apostles' Creed, and today we're going to focus on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit as the Creed states, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit's not a thing to believe in. The force in Star Wars is a thing to believe in. Karma is a thing to believe in. Since the very beginning of the New Testament age, the church of Jesus Christ has affirmed that the Holy Spirit is a person. As we'll see from this text, the Holy Spirit is a member of the Godhead, integral in the Trinity, present wherever God has acted in creation and redemption. So, for example, you begin Genesis 1-1, the very beginning of the Bible. We read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In the incarnation of Christ, the Creed, the Apostles' Creed, states that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Ghost, drawing from Luke chapter 135, where it's where it's, it's spoken that the, the Holy Spirit conceived in Mary the Son. At the baptism of Jesus, there's a great Trinitarian moment. Luke 3, 21-22. Now when the people were baptized, and when Jesus also 
had been baptized and was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form. Like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. And so you see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at the baptism of Jesus. The inauguration of the church, Acts 1 and 2, you see the Holy Spirit poured out on the church for the sake of the mission of the gospel and the witness of Christ. And you'll also note Paul's powerful Trinitarian promise in Romans 8.11. If you look there in, in, in verse 11, if the Spirit of Him, the Father, who raised Jesus, the Son, from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Not that dwells in you, but who dwells in you. There you see the Spirit, a person, like the Father, like the Son. But also you see the same as the Father and the Son. That's Trinitarian theology. You guys have talked about that this fall. Now, if we're careful, if we're not careful, we can sort of relate to the Holy Spirit as kind of the cleanup crew of salvation. It's like his job is to come after Jesus and hit the punch list of the items that Jesus never quite got done when he was here. But no, no. The Holy Spirit is essential to our salvation from eternity. A salvation that doesn't just fix the sin problem in life, but always had in view eternal holiness and joy of the believer in fellowship with God. That's salvation. Theologian John Stott summarizes the essential role of the Holy Spirit in the entire Christian life when he writes, the Christian life is essentially life in the Spirit. That is to say, a life which is animated, sustained, directed, and enriched by the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, True Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, indeed impossible. Now, no single chapter of the Bible can give us all the Bible says about the person and work of the Holy Spirit, but Romans 8 is a great place to go. Romans 8 saturated with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's referenced 20 times in Romans 8, more than any other chapter in the Bible. What we can see here, though it's not the complete picture, is, an ex- is astounding. Because Paul is intent, in the context of this letter at this point, to bring the Holy Spirit to the forefront of how we understand the Christian life. If I could summarize what Paul's driving at, it would be something like this. It's kind of a main point. The Christian life cannot be understood accurately or lived victoriously apart from a robust confidence in the work of the Holy Spirit. If you're taking notes, I'll say that one more time. The Christian life cannot be understood accurately or lived victoriously apart from a robust confidence 
in the work of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see five ways from this text that the Holy Spirit shapes the life of the believer. We're going to see that by the Holy Spirit, we experience the freeing forgiveness of God. By the Holy Spirit, we experience the power of God. By the Holy Spirit, we experience the holiness of God. By the Holy Spirit, we experience the favor of God. And by the Holy Spirit, we experience communion with God. We're going to walk through those five points drawn from the text that David read. So number one, by the Holy Spirit, we experience the freeing forgiveness of God. Let's again start with Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, chapters 1-7 through in the book of Romans is Paul establishing that salvation is by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins. Alone. Nothing else saves but the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We just celebrated two weeks ago the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. That, that Sunday of the Reformation, I had the opportunity to be in Germany and actually that next day to be in Wittenberg where, uh, where Luther lived and ministered and where this idea of salvation by grace alone through faith alone came to him. Luther was a, was a monk. Luther lived in a monastery and, and spent much time in a small room where he poured over the Scriptures. And Luther struggled because Luther was a man who understood his own deep sinfulness. And he understood the holiness of God. And he realized in ways that most of us can't fathom the difference between a holy God and a sinful person and how there is no way that Luther, though he tried with all his might, though he lived as as holy a life as he could, he knew that he would never attain the righteousness that God required. And so he, he actually came to hate God. How could God do this? How could, a, how could a holy God not give away for sinners to fix their sin problem? And he was reading Romans and studying Romans. And in the reading of Romans and studying Romans... It hit him. Earlier in Romans, he read, The righteous shall live by faith. And it broke onto his mind and his heart. That it's not my righteousness that Paul's talking about. It's the righteousness of Christ. The perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
who was sacrificed for us, that if we receive and accept His righteousness for us, then God imputes, God merits that righteousness to us. We don't bring our own merit. It's the merit of Christ that we stand under so that we can say we are justified not by anything we do, but by what Jesus has done for us. Luther said in that moment, in fact, I stood right outside the room where this revelation came to him. And Luther said, in that moment, when by the Spirit of God I understood these words, the righteous shall live by faith, then I felt born again. Like a new man, I entered through the open doors into the very paradise of God. And that realization that there's nothing we can do to earn or participate in our salvation. It's only the merits, the justice of Jesus Christ for us. Can we enjoy the forgiveness of our sins? Can we no longer live condemned, free of condemnation? Free in the forgiveness of God. You see, what Jesus did, and this is what Paul's driving at in Romans 8, what Jesus did accomplished our salvation. We are forgiven by God through the the atoning sacrifice of Christ. But the experience of that, the sense that we are no longer condemned, the sense that we live justified before God is a gift of the Holy Spirit. We don't just simply believe it. The Spirit of God has been sent that we might live in the good of what we received in Christ. That's what Paul's talking about. It's the Spirit of God who must open our eyes, like Luther's eyes were opened. But when he does, we, like Luther, experience a new birth of freedom from the law of sin and death. We are forgiven because of the cross. We experience the forgiveness of freedom as freedom and condemnation because of the Spirit. Our confidence in where we stand. Our day-to-day enjoyment of the salvation that has been purchased for us comes from the active presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So that's number one. Number two. By the Holy Spirit, we experience the power of God. Let's pick up in Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, by the Holy Spirit, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life 
because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, we just read this passage, then He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give your life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Now that's a very densely compacted statement of truth. There's an awful lot there. And I'm not going to try to unpack it in the detail it needs. I want to summarize and I want to use the words of a biblical scholar, Leon Morris, who I think effectively summarizes at least for what we're talking about today. Morris says this, Paul is saying in this text that we just read that when the Holy Spirit comes into a person, that person is liberated from bondage to evil and finds a new power within. A power that causes the defeat of sin and leads the liberated person into ways of goodness and love. Believing the doctrines of the Christian faith does not make you a good and loving person. Receiving the indwelling power of the Spirit does that work on your behalf. The Christian life is meant to be lived as a life of power. Real power. Power for change. Power for overcoming sin. Power to please God. Not just in what we do, but what we feel and think. Power in gifting and abilities to, that get deployed for the work of the gospel. Power to stand against the enemy. Power to have faith when circumstances are against us. Power to see the spiritual realities beyond this temporal world. We're called to live a spirit-filled life in power. Now, that's a command that's given over and over in the New Testament. Be filled with the Spirit. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. There are some believers who have an intellectual theology of the person of the Spirit. Their Trinitarian theology is nice and tight. But they have a dysfunctional theology of the power of the Spirit. They don't have an experiential category for the repeated commands to be filled with the Spirit. But the command to be filled is a command to want power. Do you want power? If you don't want power, then you're not being obedient to the commands of Scripture. It is, it is the call of God upon the believer to want the power of the Spirit to be expressed in their lives. To pursue that power. To live in the power of the Spirit. The same power, as Paul says, that raised Jesus from the dead has been given to you to live victoriously in this life. You can't theologize that away. You can't explain it away. That's the power that we are meant to live out of. Theologian Wayne Grudem, I'm using some quotes from theologians because they're nice and concise and can express things better than I can. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with the immediate presence of God Himself. And it therefore will result in feeling what God feels, desiring what God desires, doing what God wants, speaking by God's power, 
praying in ministry in God's strength and knowing with the knowledge which God Himself gives. That's available to you and me right now, today. We don't have to do anything but ask. Today, right now, you can sit where you are and say, fill me, Holy Spirit. And He fills you. He fills you. So, a little application here. Coming up on the holidays. Coming up on Thanksgiving. For some of us, the idea of getting together with family is not all that enticing. We do it. We know the need for it. But we're fearful of it. We, there are strife issues in our families. There are differences. Maybe you're the only Christian in your family. Maybe there are, you have a family where there's been divorce or there is blendedness in a way that, that there is animosity that's never been dealt with. Maybe there have been parents who, have been, who, are, who, who show up on the scene for these kind of things but disappear otherwise. Maybe you just don't get along. And so you're dreading the holidays. I was talking to two different people yesterday. Both people came into my office at Covenant Fellowship to talk about I'm facing the holidays and I'm not looking forward to it. 